Welcome. This is the second part of a two-part interview. A lot of times the second part of our interviews are better than the first. The guest is relaxed. The microphones are warmed up. In fact, if you think about it, uh, second parters in general are a lot of times are better than the first. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wrath of Khan, yeah. right? The Godfather Part 2, New mm-hmm. Testament. Yeah, yeah. Now, that being said, this one probably sucks. Enjoy. Welcome. This is Richard Wilson. If your seat backs and tray tables are not already in their full upright positions, it's too late. Brace for Impact is the Bait and Switch Podcast. We now join the podcast already in progress. You know, one thing uh, we talk about every now and then, we talk about something happening in the news so that people that listen to the podcast know approximately when this was taped. Just yesterday or the day before, John McCain died, who was the presidential candidate back in 2008. I remember I was at a wedding in San Francisco and during that election between McCain and Obama. And some guy at the wedding came up to me and he started talking politics and he talked about McCain. And he said, that McCain, he said, he's so old, he's going to die any day now and uh, he'll never serve out his term. And here it is 10 years later and he he made it another 10 years. And I just kind of innocently joined in. I said, "Ah." I said, I don't know, he seems healthy enough to me. And the guy goes, I know who you're for. And I said, no, no. <laughs> I said, no, no. I said, I said, no, I'm just saying that he looks like he's going to live. And I was right. He made it another 10 years. But who am I to say? <laughs> who am I to say? Because back in uh, 1976, I thought Carter looked sickly. And he's still with us. <laughs> he's still, I didn't right. think he was going to make right. it. Right, yeah. But anyway, um, uh, I, it makes me think about um, when somebody that dies that is famous, oftentimes you'll hear that a publicist will announce his death. And I always think that that's difficult because not only is that publicist publicizing this event, but it's kind of the publicist's resume because he needs a job, right? This guy's mm-hmm. died. Yeah. And so now he's got to be very careful about how he says this, I right? Right. He'd just walk up and say, well, that was it for them. Yeah. Because yeah. they're like, whoa, well, that's not how I want my publicist <laughs> to present my death. Do you right? think you could be a publicist? I don't think so. You don't think so? I'm so matter of fact. Plus, I work in finance. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, He's died today. I don't know. Take it for what it's worth, but that's it. What if, like, you know, a week ago, McCain, you know, gives his publicist, like, two weeks' notice? If you're the publicist, (laughs) do you say, yeah, I'm going to wait it out. I'm not going to quit right now. I think I can make it to the end so it doesn't look like I got fired. (laughs) Is that too much? <laughs> I'm getting a lot of eyes rolling here. <laughs> I, you know, my only, I'm sorry. You know, I, anyway, I was going to say, getting back to the guy in, in San Francisco, I was going to ask you, how old, what would be the oldest candidate for president that you'd vote for? 80 years old? 85? 90? Well... That's a tough question. What about I mean, 100? Would you vote for somebody that's 100 years old? I don't think so. Who's their running mate? He's an agent. That's, that's when you start, our guest yeah, here. Yeah. He's, he's got something yeah. against Oh, the, all of a sudden. No, he's 100 years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think if the person is fit, um, you know, mentally, mentally as well as physically, I want to see a 10-year, you know, a four-year, five-year term in it 
plus a four-year, five-year follow-up as well. Sure. Because a lot of times people just look at a person and say, the person is fit for four years. I want somebody to live through that another four years of, you know, either in the second tenure or just live through the policies that he or she has put together. So I'm, I'm big, I'm not big into age one way or the other. Mm. I'm okay with Trudeau being a prime minister for, um, okay. you know, for, for Canada. Whippersnapper. Well, he's young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, I mean, age, age, like I said, I mean, if McCain would have made it at that point in time with Sarah Palin, I don't see one way or the other, right? I mean, mm. I'm pretty much agnostic with it. But I was happy that Obama got through just because I said, because the wor- it was on world stage, America was put on a map mm-hmm. because um, there was an Afro-American president that was out there. I think it just put a lot of people's views at rest. Mm. And and I felt, you know, the greatness of this country. I don't know if I would have voted for him or not. But at the same time, I felt glad because I think that was a defining moment. Mm-hmm. So was McCain. Yeah. I mean, the other day, McCain, I was looking at, um, not other day. In fact, yesterday, there was like an interviewer who was, um, you know, he was asking some questions. And then they play that clip in which somebody said bad things about Obama. And then he stopped the conversation. He said, no, he is a family man. He was a good man. Just our views are not sure getting along. Right. So that's the leadership that you see in a person. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it has anything to do with the age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. It's interesting that question because I don't think I. I really. It's never factored in for me uh, when I look at maybe because there's never been anybody who looks like they're knocking on death's door. Maybe 80, that's what eighty-five I, years old. Would you vote for the guy? Again, if he doesn't look like he's knocking on death's door, if he's if he just looks like an older guy, ninety. 90, president. Well, how does he look? Does he does he look fit? He looks fit. He looks does fit. Does he look like... 90 uh, years old. 100 years old. Great idea. Great. He's got great ideas. Yeah. You love him. He's fit. Love 100 him. years old, you're voting for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, the the uh, the age, the, the what's the word? Uh, the um, It's just the, a number. Uh, no. No. The, um, the length of time that we're living, uh, lifespan... Is increasing all the time. I so I think I think that you know this guy, that guy may live to 120. I plan on starting my political career at 100. 100, sure. I think I'm industrious. I think I'll be ready to go. I think you're. Chris, I think I'm not voting for you. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> here we go, Mr. Anti 100 guy. Uh-huh. No, I know. Like I said, I, I've got the work ethic. In fact, uh, these guys can see here. Uh, most recently, yeah. I bought a desk. It's a pillow top desk. Because I'm just always working. Right. Like, <laughs> right. So, yeah, here it is. Fluffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just oh, yeah. I, I wake up, boom, I'm right at the desk. Yeah, right. You just kind of slide off into the chair, boom. <laughs> it's uh, I've never seen something like this. Yeah. What, can you imagine being 100 years old and you're campaigning for president and something comes back that you did in college? And you're like, you know, that was 80 years ago. <laughs> I'm a different man. <laughs> no, no. You did it. Uh, that was, that was, that was, that was 1935. Can I? <laughs> Back in the 30s. Do you know like about that. the Johnny Lechner law? Who? Johnny Lechner law. I think I do. I what is that? There's a guy called Johnny Lechner, and I was watching a documentary. And this guy, he just refuses to graduate. So a girl walks in. She was starting her freshman year or whatnot. And he turns around and is like, do you know, when I started college, you were five years old. <laughs> I, I don't want that feeling to come no, out ever. No, that's not a good know? pickup line. That's I don't think. I was no. say, this no. is not a this is not a, a badge of honor. She's got to look. They had at to him make like, a law for that. Saying yeah, that it was. was uh, it was. I think he went to UW Whitewater. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Really, it was a wealthy family. He could just afford to go to college forever. I don't think so. 
No, I don't think so. He just it's, he just wanted to have aid, financial aid. I re- I remember a guy I went to college with and talking about financial aid, and he was talking to me and he said uh, I was hoping for X amount of dollars, and they gave me an extra five hundred for financial aid, and he said you know I could go out buy a new stereo, and he was so excited about buying the stereo. <laughs> And I'm thinking maybe, you know, maybe you just, you know, put that money towards your education or don't even accept it, right? Why go into debt even further? That was 25 years ago. His name was Johnny Lechner. uh, (laughs) Still in college today. (laughs) I think that's the other piece which is so different. The colleges in India are not as expensive. But the reverse happens when you go to schools. Generally in India, the schools are very expensive. So as you are, not the government schools, but because those are not good enough for you to go. Um, but if you go to any decent school, mm-hmm. you'll be surprised for a 60 student class. So I used to be in a class where my roll number was 64. Oh, I, I got a little confused. You said universities are cheap, but schools, meaning grade schools and, and high schools, Secondary those are school, expensive. Yeah. That is exactly it. And those are... Are those those are private schools, public schools for kids. Are they are they free to everybody or no? Public schools is as good as free, but only the very poor goes over there, and the quality of education doesn't exist at all. A lot of kids go over there for midday meals because the school will provide them for meals, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the big motivation of the kids to go there. Yeah. So that's not a very learning environment at all. Mm-hmm. For any decent learning environment, you got to go to a private school. So one of the things that I'm really, really thankful about is my parents actually, we are two boys and they sent us to a private school and spend all this money mm-hmm. for 12 years each before we went to college where, you know, uh, where it was less expensive. So they took the time. They, um, they made us go through this school. Um, when I applied for my kindergarten, there were like 600 kids that applied. Whoa. 150 got selected. Wow. Wow. I was interviewed. I was given a written test. My parents were interviewed. Wow. And then their background was checked. It's pretty rigorous. Yeah. When I came over here and I took my three-year-old to, like, when she turned five and I took her to, like, her pre-K or whatnot. They said, welcome. Come on in. (laughs) Yeah. She asked me for my driver's license and I gave her the driver's license and I kept thinking, I mean, what's the next step? Yeah. Where's Mm -hmm. the the interview? Right. Well, the interview, right? I mean, right? Did you have the kid prep for this interview? <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing, but yeah. as I was growing up, I still remember it like yesterday. Sure. My, my mother will keep showing me like pictures, like that's a giraffe, that's pink color, that's blue, because those are the questions that are asked. Okay. And sure. you've got to be really, because if you look at the guy around you, right. out of the three kids in the playground, one will make it to the school. Yeah. That is another one of the stereotypes for lack of a better term about uh, about Indian culture is the importance of education and a lot of times when people of Indian descent come over here you see them excelling at all sorts of competitions and things like that is that really drilled in at a young age to succeed at school to a greater extent than you see here in America completely um i think the the competition element of any asian kid Mm-hmm. Forget Indian, but any Asian kid. Right. Just because you are so many of them. Right. And you got to fight for your right early from early childhood, three mm-hmm. years, four years of age. Right. And you're learning to compete. Mm-hmm. It comes so naturally. If anything, I have to curb my 
enthusiasm sometimes to do better my, than my next person mm-hmm. because what happens in that stage is you become an individual contributor you never become a team player and what oh, this sure. country teaches yeah. you is to become a team player and i'm i'm just reading a book called culture code which is all about teams and everything and there are just so many mistakes that i've been doing all through my career I just well, I didn't want to say anything. Here tonight. Yeah, I didn't say anything, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, Thanks for pointing it out. Mistakes are going to be all edited out, <laughs> and uh, you've made it hard for us. I, I, I went through the same thing in college. I was taught that I had to fight for the right to party. Yeah, yeah. But right. Beastie Boys. This is a cultural right. reference right. you might not get, but but anyway, um, no. Like you said, sheer numbers of people. You sure. have to stand out. You mentioned before you got a billion people, billion two. I don't know mm-hmm. what is it now. Who's ahead, India or China? I think we're neck to neck. Neck. To neck. Oh, really? It's India really? has the lead because okay. our census program is still very trivial. You knock on the door and you take handwritten notes uh-huh. that somebody tallies it through. I think China is a little bit more advanced. I think we've exceeded it. Um, but then, having said that, just the education level and the English speaking capability is so much more with India. Oh yeah. Then with China. No yeah. China. Right. right? Sure. But then China is a not a country, it's an economy in itself, right? I was going to say it's different different just, animal really. China, uh, not China. Chinese are animals. I'm yeah. saying this is that'll be cut out. Yeah, that'll be cut out for sure. Just been is different. Um 20 30 years ago whenever it was, China had that one child policy because they oh, became yeah. concerned that mm-hmm. China was getting too overcrowded. Is there that concern in India? Is there any change in terms of demographics as far as family size that's going on in India currently? So in China, they had a policy. We had this this slogan, which was more around coaching and nudging of people rather than making it a mandate right. or a law. It says, um, which means we two, our two. So I think we went on with that for, for a long time. Uh, but then there were other socio um, problems that we had, which is around um, selective... Uh, abortion uh, for mm. a long time in india you know they were giving up you know doctors would tell if you're a boy or a girl and then if it's a girl they will take it off right i mean you know you they will just selective uh, abortion selective mm. abortion right mm-hmm. right um i think china had similar things as well but china mm-hmm. was i think their sex ratio is still one to one in mm. parts of india the sex ratio is like more like nine to ten so when you hear rave when you hear all those bad things coming out i think that's a that's an outcome of an underlying mm-hmm. assumption. Think of a culture where you've got millions potentially of young men without women to have as partners. How that could just lead to civil unrest. It could just be a disaster. You're absolutely right, Chris. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I have two girls. They have more mates than they want to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if yeah. they were, I mean, of course, I have a feeling they will never marry an Indian knowing their father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but... But they have choices out there, right? I mean, because they're well-educated. A lot of times, even when girls were born, they would not send them to school because the resources were constrained. They would sell, send only the boy to school. Sure. Okay. Now it's changed. Mm-hmm. People realize the value of women. It keeps getting better every time I go there. Mm-hmm. I always see progress. Really, mm-hmm. things are getting better. But, you know, there are just women that I always respect, one of which is wi- my wife. So I just cannot... Um, we'll keep that in the podcast. Yeah. That is right. Good. That is right. That's <laughs> why I'm saying it. Yeah, right. I was going to say, you got to get When I get in home there. today at nine o'clock, <laughs> I have to face fury. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at what age did you learn English? Oh, I started learning English 
even before Hindi, I started writing English mm-hmm. because that was required for, like I said, my kindergarten oh, right. interview. Right. Yeah. So that was you had, so important. You had to know giraffe. You had to know that. That's right. Giraffe. Yes. Do you, uh, <laughs> do you speak, do you speak more Hindi at the house with your wife or more in English? I think it's turned around a little bit, you know, a lot. When I was in India, we used to talk a lot of Hindi and now our kids, you, they understand Hindi, but they would respond in English. Okay. You can talk to them Hindi all day, every day, mm-hmm. but they will respond to, you know, in Hindi. And, in, and with my wife, I think, for the most part, for the most part, just it's English. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, when that change happened, but over a period of time, Hindi's been growing down and down. But every now and then, there's a family that comes in who's recently moved to U.S. and you sit down with them and you break bread and then you, you know, you drink a beer, which is from India, and then mm-hmm. Hindi starts flowing. Sure. Um, you go to India and uh, just as you land at the airport, it's just a side of your brain that just, just quick sparks. Mm-hmm. Is it rusty at all? I, I mean, have you have you lost any of your ability to speak Hindi? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. What has changed is earlier I used to think in Hindi and speak in English. That okay. transition went mm-hmm. away. Okay. Now I can think and speak in English. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't need to switch. Earlier right. there was a lag. Mentally in my head. A translation in your head? Yeah. Yes. That's going away. Now, our listeners will hear some edits in here because I've gotten some phone calls on my business uh, while we're in the middle of a podcast. And that made me think about something here recently with my business. I recently hired a new secretary. Do you have a secretary in your work? Yeah. We have an admin, which is shared admin. Yes. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm doing with this new secretary that I haven't done in the past is performance evaluations. Do you do that? Performance evaluation? So we used to have performance evaluation. Now we've kind of embarked on a journey of continuous improvement. It's like my wife giving me inputs every day. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully I get better. She makes me sit down and for two hours tells me everything that that wasn't. Was that part of your your wedding vows? Did she turn to you and say, we're going to embark on a series of continuous improvements over the next? So two things happened in my marriage. Number one, it was an. It was not an arranged marriage. It was a love marriage. Okay. So mm-hmm. I went for love marriage and I was called a rebel. But uh, right. that's also one of those paradigms of India, if sure. you're interested. Okay. I knew a guy uh, when I was in a club here about 20 years ago. And he said he was going back to India for you know vacation. And he came back three weeks later and he was married. And we didn't even hear of this woman before he left. And he come back and he's got a wife. And she was nice. But... Yeah, we kind of thought, was this arranged? And certainly that's what it was. And probably he was seeing it for the first time. Yeah. Hmm. It's like your father goes in, checks out a car, says, well, it looks outside, good from guess, outside. Guess what I got for, me, for <laughs> you? Yeah. Right. Right. Now, I've heard it said that, you know, when they do surveys and studies, that these arranged marriages are oftentimes, people are happier within them than the traditional Western marriage. I don't, I mean, it's such, such a subjective question. Yeah. I'm happy in my marriage. Right. <laughs> it's, it's love marriage, but at the same time, you just, it's a mental frame of mind, right? You, you, you first get married, then you become friends, and then you start falling in love with each other because it's just not possible to just know somebody and meet somebody for the first time and fall in love. There's a lot of parental pressure on both sides as well mm-hmm. to make it work. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And I think that makes it more, all the more successful in the long run. My wife and I make fun because I went to all boys school 
Mm-hmm. And the first girl I met in college, right. I married. And my <laughs> wife makes fun. She's like, when you go to Steinhaffels, you sit on a few sofa sets, you feel it out, and <laughs> yeah. you'd spend yeah. more time yeah. buying yeah. furniture. Yeah. And we just got married right away. Your wife is very romantic in, in yeah, right, descriptions. Right. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to the performance evaluations, which it sounds like your performance is evaluated in your marriage on a, <laughs> on a, on a constant basis. No, I, one thing I'm doing, I never really did performance evaluations, so I'm doing them every hour on the hour. Do you think that's too much? Every hour on the hour. Yeah, for like a half an hour. And she has not for run like away yet. Yeah. No, I think <laughs> that's she's good. not run away yet. Yeah. <laughs> I am speechless, but thank you. I know who I'll not work for in my, for the rest of my life. I'm keeping her on probation for like five years, I think. <laughs> I'm looking at this. Look, she's trying not, to figure out how serious I am. She I'm may not realize any of this, though. Yes. She may not know any of this. She might listen to this and say, wait a minute. What no, actually, to? I'm teasing. Obviously, I do not give performance sure. evaluations. Every hour in the hour. It's like every two hours. But, uh, <laughs> it's like four times a day. Uh, she's been a very good secretary at this point. By the time this airs, she might be fired. But who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so in the company I used to work for, there used to be this evaluation system in which you'd be measured on your performance, mm-hmm. but you'll also be measured on potential. Right. So sometimes your performance oh. sucks, mm-hmm. but you have promise for the future. Right. And you still get away with it. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So you got to think about your secretary, not just from the viewpoint oh, of sure. performance, right. but from the potential, from the promise it, for the future. It's a good point. Yes. Of course, we had to abandon that, but you should continue <laughs> to do did, that. It didn't work at all, but you, <laughs> no. know, you should try it. <laughs> you should try it. <laughs> and I think there is a subtle difference around earlier, you are not good for the job mm-hmm. to now this job is not good for you. Ah, okay. So uh-huh. it just... <laughs> it's it just, not me, it's you. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. They say, we're not firing you, we're breaking up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, right. pretty much. Right. I just, I just, I know there's some other job out there better for you. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, did you have fun here tonight? Uh, oh, loved Gary? it. Loved yeah. it. Thank you so Good. much. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming. Gary, we so. called you Gary, but your real name is? Gaurav. That's my real name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, you can call me Gary. And your last name, your real last name is? Is Malik. Malik. Now, we talked about, um, again, you're from India. A lot of these Indian names are huge. They're like 30, 40 letters long. Malik, that's quite short. So two things. Number one, those longer ones. So in India, there's a South India and a North India. Sure. And when you go in South India, there are certain cultures over there. You start with the village name, your father's name, then your name. So that becomes oh, okay. Okay. very, very long. Mm-hmm. Malik um, was like a knighthood or a title. That mm-hmm. was given by Britishers to my grandfather, oh, who okay. was in, actually in Pakistan. And he fled Pakistan at the time of separation. Right. Mm-hmm. So Malik is like Sir, okay. or like title. Okay. And then that became the last name over the period of time. So a lot of Muslims have Malik as a title. So yeah. it's a very cosmopolitan last name. Uh-huh. For it's very hard to tell. But my first name gives it away that I'm, a, I'm from India. Yeah. Well, let's count out the music. We do this occasionally. Yep. Three, two, two one. Music. Music. There we go. Well, hey, once again, thanks again, Gary, for stopping in, <laughs> stopping over, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Thank you again. Right. Thanks, Gary. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast for season two, beginning in 2019. We'd like to thank our hundreds of loyal listeners for their thousands of downloads. And we'd also like to thank all of you who have told your friends to help make the Bait and Switch podcast a success. 
You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.